Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. We've been going through a series for those of you that have just joined us today. We're talking about some of the statements that Jesus made where he included the word first. The word first means first in place, first in time, first in priority. And Jesus talked about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things would be added. We talked about how we've often got it the wrong way around where we're actually pursuing things instead of pursuing God. And because we want to make sure that all of our needs are met. And God said, no, seek me first and I'll add the things to you later. Place me in the highest place within your life. Give me the highest priority. Give me all that you've got. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Can I hear an amen from somebody this morning? We talked about the statement that Jesus made when we come to worship. He said, if you believe that your brother has something against you, first... Be reconciled with your brother. So leave the place of worship, be reconciled, and then come back and worship. God places not just a high priority on the vertical, but he places a tremendous priority on the horizontal. You notice the two together is the shape of the cross. So our vertical relationships of making sure that we're right with our brothers and sisters is of high importance to Jesus. He said, go and sort it out first. And then come back and bring your worship to me. Jesus went on to talk about the fact that he came and healed a man who was blind and and mute from birth. He couldn't see and he couldn't speak. And, uh, And Jesus named the culprit as being a demon spirit. And he said, this demon spirit has bound this man all of his years of his life. He can't see as a result of this spirit and he can't speak. And so this man was completely bound. And then the Pharisees tried to say that as Jesus helped this man, that he was doing it by demon power, demonic power. A blasphemous statement against the Son of God. And then Jesus went on to say, if Beelzebub casts out Beelzebub, how can a kingdom divided against itself stand? Amen? That's the first principle of battle. You've got to be all be on the same side. And so Jesus said, no, no, no. If your life is getting messed up, if you've got spiritual interference in your life, then first bind the strong man And then you can go and take those stolen goods that the devil has taken from your life and you can take back what the devil stole from you. You remember that song? I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. You got the picture. So you got the picture. We take it back. But he said, first, you've got to deal with the enemy who is guarding those goods that he took off from you. And we've got to understand, Jesus was saying, if a stronger one than you, understand this, friends, without Christ in your life, the spiritual realm is stronger than you. 
That's why we never muck around with evil spirits. We always deal with them appropriately, and we do it in the name of Jesus. Can I hear an amen this morning? I don't just rock up and tell them in the name of James, you shall do this. It won't work. It's got to be the authority and the power of the name of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. So Matthew 12, 29, which we've talked about up on screen. And then we see that this was the result of the man uh, who had been bound by this demon. You see, we've got to understand the devil has one agenda for your life. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. There is not an ounce of mercy in the devil's bones. I want you to understand that he may court you for a while, but it's only for the purpose of your destruction. You may feel that things are going all right. Moses, uh, it says that it says that the people of God enjoyed sin for a season, but that when that season comes to end, the sin bites us back. And we've got to understand that Jesus Christ has come to set the captives free. The devil's come to steal from you. He's a thief. He's a robber. He's come to destroy your life. There are things that you had going in your life some time ago that have been taken from you. And God wants you to take them back. God wants you to be able to see those things that have been robbed from you, restored to you. God is a restorer. It's God's in God's nature to restore that which has been stolen from your life. And you know what? In the book of Job, we see the righteous man in all the land. There's none like Job. The devil got access into Job's life by permission from the Lord, and he came and he wreaked havoc and destruction in Job's life. But did you know that Job stayed steady? Even his wife, his blessed missus, said to him, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job wouldn't listen to the voice of the accusers. He stood strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And in the last chapter of the book of Job, we see that God doubled the blessing that He originally had. Because when God restores to your life, it's even better than it was in the original state. Have you ever seen an? Have you ever seen a vintage, a vintage car being restored? I want to tell you, it looks better than the original version. And this morning, I'm saying to you by by the Holy Spirit and by the prophetic word that's already or, or, already been brought to you today. Some are feeling robbed. Some are feeling crippled. Some are feeling like they can't lift up their hands this morning because the devil's stolen something from you that God wants to restore back to you. Hallelujah. So if we're looking at that this morning, I want us to look through a lens of an Old Testament story found in 1 Samuel 30. We're not going to go there for the sake of time. But many of you who have read the Bible know the story that David is not yet king. He's been a fugitive. He has mighty warriors who are fearsome. And in this chapter, we see that as he's been away looking to join the Philistines in battle, he gets rejected, but he's been away from home for a few days. And while he's been away, the enemy from the south, the Amalekites, has snuck up. And they've come to his, ha his village where all of his possessions are, his children. And this, at this stage, he only had two wives. One's enough, in my opinion. But he had two, two, he had two wives. His wives had been taken. His children had been taken. And all their possessions had been taken. And if you read the story, when they came back and they saw smoke coming up where all their possessions had been burned and they found out there was no children in the village, there were no women in the village and their possessions had been taken, the Bible says that David's men were so angry and they were so distraught that they were looking at stoning their own leader. 
He was under the threat of death by his own mighty warriors because they were so distraught and full of grief. The Bible says they couldn't cry anymore because they were so, their grief was so deep. And so David, what does he do? I want my mummy. Does he say that? No, he's, he's a man of God. The Bible says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. That David, this is the test for all of our lives. What happens when greater pressure comes against you than what you feel is inside of you? And David was under immense pressure. The enemy had come and stolen from him. And, and, and everybody was out to get him. Just blame the leader. It's his fault. Hallelujah. Which often happens in the church of Jesus Christ today. We're often the worst. You know, we shoot our wounded in the church instead of coming to restore them. And so David, the Bible says, David strengthened himself in the Lord. He, brought, he asked for the ephod of the priest. And he said, God, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to recover? Do you want me to go up against the Ammonites and get everything back that they've stolen from me? And the Lord said, go up and you will recover all. Go up and you will recover all. I want to say to you today that there's stuff missing out of your life. There's stuff that should be in your life today, but for one reason or another, it's not present today. And God wants to restore back into your life as he did with young David. And David went out and the Bible says that he got his wives back. Hallelujah. He got his kids back. Hallelujah. He got all of his possessions back. And the Bible says David recovered all. How about you today? You want to recover stuff today that you know you're saying to yourself today, Lord, I know I used to prophesy years ago. I used to be able to sing in the Spirit years ago. I had no problem dealing with demonic manifestations years ago. I used to read my Bible three, four chapters a day years ago. I used to seek the Lord every morning years ago, but it's been taken from my life. I want to say to you today, God wants to recover it into your life today. He has plans for your life this morning. You know, I've seen, as we talk about plundering the strong man and taking back the goods that he's taken from us, you would have seen the same things that I've seen. I've seen children being taken from families by the devil. I've seen kids who were once strong in the faith, no longer walking with God. The devil's coming like a thief. There's many prodigals in this nation that are yet to return to Jesus Christ. I tell you, God's got a plan for each and every one of them, that the prodigals would return in great numbers. But we've got to go after them. We've got to recover them in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. I've seen people go through tremendous financial loss. I've seen markets change. I've seen investments being put in the wrong place. I've seen people defrauded of their money by fast-talking salespeople. I've seen whole retirement savings being robbed out of a person's life and they're coming to the age of retirement and they have nothing because the devil has stolen what they've put away. Whatever it is, I've seen promises of God stolen out of people's lives where once they were firmly, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus and suddenly they no longer have the faith to believe what God promised to them that years ago. And it's gone on the back burner and they're no longer moving forward in God, but they've become stagnant in their faith. Or maybe a strong faith that isn't what it once used to be. So today I want to burrow down into this 
third, first bind the strong man. I want us to begin to go into some areas where we can take these subjects. I could give you a five-point message with each one of them being a main point today, but we need to treat all of these with the, the respect that they're given in the Scriptures. And today I want to talk about you recovering your personal walk with Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Enoch walked with God and he was not because God took him. Enoch's walk so pleased the Lord, he never faced death, but he was transported directly to heaven because of the richness of the relationship he had with Jesus Christ. Relationship with God and all of its richness is not only possible for you, but that's God's plan for your life. And yet so many have been robbed of a deep personal walk with Jesus Christ. Today we're going to recover in the name of Jesus your walk with Him this morning. Can I hear an amen if you want to see that happen today? You know, walking with Jesus is the most vital relationship that you either have or you don't have with Jesus Christ today. That relationship has a bearing on every single other relationship within your life. You all know what it's like when there's no fuel in the tank. You all know what it's like when you're no longer walking by the Spirit, when suddenly a harmless comment, suddenly you're snapping back at that person. Suddenly you're lashing out at that person because you've no longer got the fruit of the Spirit active and working within your life because your relationship with Jesus has been diluted. I want to tell you, the enemy's an expert at diluting Christians' walk and relationship with him. He's an expert at isolating people. A man who isolates himself, Proverbs says, seeks after his own desire. The devil loves to take that ember that's burning in amongst the other embers and, and distance them and isolate them and put them into isolation over here. They're going to continue to glow, but this one's going to go out very quickly because the enemy loves to isolate. He loves to drown the faith that you once had and the fervor and the passion that you once had. Friends, if you're in this place this morning, I want to tell you you're not the only one. Many of us have visited this place if we're honest with ourselves. You can fake it until you think you can make it, but you'll never make it if it's not real. Authenticity and being honest where things are really at in your life this morning is a precursor to God moving afresh within your life. If you won't be honest with God, and we're going to see through the life of one of the leaders uh, in, the, in the Bible, yeah, this happens to leaders, friends. And unfortunately, when it happens to leaders, it always gets into the hands of a journalist somewhere, doesn't it? And it creates havoc, it creates mayhem, and Jesus' name is slighted yet again. I, I, recently, I, ha I was swapping a motorbike with somebody, and he said, I've been looking up your Facebook profile. I said, oh, this guy does his homework. And uh, he said, oh, I see you not only ride motorbikes, but he said, I, he said, he said, I see that you're a pastor. He said, what's that? You know, some people, when they meet, meet me, they say, oh, what are you doing? I say, I'm a pastor. They say, a plasterer. Are you a plasterer? <laughs> so I began to share with him how Jesus changed my life. And he said, look, I'm fascinated with this. He said, I just watched a documentary recently on TV about a guy called Jim Baker and, uh, and his wife, Tammy. And he said, I was, I was gripped by this. He said, I didn't, man, he was a fast-talking, smooth-talking dude, that guy, wasn't he? And so he was asking me all these questions. And so I had a platform to share Jesus with this man as a result of his curiosity about these people called Christians. But friends, today, 
We want to focus and we want to look at the process of being fully restored in your personal walk with Jesus this morning. We're going to look at a leader, a leader who was passionate. We're going to look at a leader who wasn't a perfect man, who ended up many times foot and mouth, many times going against the grain of what Jesus had declared his will to be. And this leader is a man called Peter. He's first called by Jesus when his brother introduces him to Jesus. He says, come and see. So the curiosity principle is aroused. And the first time that Jesus meets this man, he says, your name is Simon, son of Jonas, but you shall be called Cephas. So Jesus changed his name, which meant lightweight or little pebble, Simon, the son of Jonas, and he changed his name to Cephas, which means rock or stone. Because God had plans for his life, just see like he has plans with your life. You're no longer called to be a lightweight. You're called to have a king hit within your life. And so Jesus had plans for this man. He was rough. He wasn't trained at the University of Jerusalem. He was a blue-collar, hard-working fisherman. He had blisters. He had hard-wearing hands because he was a man. He was a man of the earth. He was a man of the sea. He was a rugged man. But God called this man without all of his qualifications, and he called him to be one of the original 12 apostles. So Peter... He had one problem in his life that became evident time and time again, and this was Peter's weakness. And it may well be your weakness or my weakness this morning. And that is that Peter often walked in his own strength. Peter often found himself in opposition to Jesus, not united with him. Even though he was always in the proximity of Jesus, even though he was around the miracles of Jesus, even when he was around when Jesus would introduce the marvelous works of the Father to many, Peter was there present, and then suddenly he'd be going off on his own tangent because Peter hadn't yet learned to lay down his own strength and walk in the Spirit, and as a result, it got him continuously into trouble. So I want to track with you, as many of you know the story of Peter's three denials and Jesus' restoration, but I want to take you to the Scriptures, because as I studied them this week, something became very, very clear to me that I want to make clear to you this morning. You know, Jesus was prophesying his death and Peter walks in with his hobnail boots on. And we see in Matthew 16, 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples, what did he say? That he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and priests and scribes, be killed and be raised on the day. There's no doubt about it. Jesus was very clear at what was going to take place in his life. He said, I must go to Jerusalem. So what does Peter do? Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, that this shall not happen to you. What wavelength is he on? <laughs> he's on a completely different frequency. Jesus has just told him, I must go. And he's saying, no, you won't. Because like all of us at times, we know what God wants us to do, but we don't do it. 
And as a result, we find ourselves in trouble. Once you know Jesus, I want to tell you something today. You are no longer your own. You have been bought with a price. You have been paid for by the blood of Jesus. Your life is no longer your life. Your life is in the hands of the one who gave you that gift of salvation. He gave you his life. He now owns your life. And you belong to him this morning. So Peter hadn't quite got that sorted out today. And this is what Jesus says to him after Peter puts his foot in his mouth. Verse 23, but Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me because you are not mindful of the things of God but the things of men. So Peter makes, uh, Jesus makes a couple of things clear here today. The first thing is that understand this, friends, and Paul wrote this as well about a certain brother in the church who God had been, uh, who the enemy had been using against the apostle Paul. And Jesus makes it very clear. He speaks directly to the man, Peter, but he addresses an evil spirit. He addresses Satan. And we see from this picture here that any one of us, when we're not locked and loaded and walking in unity with God, can be used by the devil to be in direct opposition to the plans and purposes of God. If you believe that, say a quiet amen. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. We're not too loud on that one this morning. So, Jesus makes it clear here today that the root cause of most of the strongholds in the life of any believer is simply this. We're more mindful of the things of man than we are of the things of God. And it's right at that point when we lose focus and seek first the kingdom of God and get tied up in distractions and become more mindful of the things of man that we start getting led away from the truth. So unaddressed, Peter will become a stumbling block to Jesus fulfilling the will of the Father, going to Jerusalem, paying the ultimate price, suffering, torture, beating, and ultimately death, which he spelt out to them this was the will of God for him to do. And Peter's trying to oppose the will of God because he's not walking with God. He's walking in his own strength. How many times have you got yourself into trouble because you've been more mindful of the things of man than you have of what God said to you? You've reasoned with him. You've tried to talk things. You've tried to talk God around to your point of view. You ever tried doing that? It's just like there's silence in heaven. Keep talking, James. You're just talking yourself into a deep hole here. He's saying, if you'll be mindful of the things of God, if you'll place me in the highest place, if you will observe and worship me and love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, I want to tell you, you can walk with me and I'll work with you. And you'll see the hand of God unfold within your life where you'll see exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or imagine things taking place within your life because you are walking with God, not opposing Him. So this is, there's worse yet to come than to be rebuked by Jesus and calling Him the devil, calling Peter the devils at work in your life, Peter, which is a real insult to any of us. 
At the Last Supper in John 13, we see, as I just go through this, I just want to make some things clear. In John 13, 38, Jesus is implementing a new commandment. They're around the emblems. It's the last meal that he's sharing with the disciples. And he says this in the middle of that, that love meal. A new commandment I give unto you. To love one another just as I have loved you. And he's talking about to the disciples and then they're not really aware of the deep persecution that's about to hit the church in Jerusalem. And the only thing that's going to get them through that difficult time and through those valleys and the valleys in your life is when you know the love of a brother or a sister in Christ who will stand by your side no matter what happens to you. Can you say amen to that this morning? And he says, I'm giving you a new commandment. I've already taught you to love me, but I'm saying to you now, I want you to love one another just like I have shown my love to you. Peter gets off track. Jesus is talking about loving each other. And then he starts scouting about how much he loves the Lord. He's off wavelength. He's off point. He's out of the conversation. He's taking it somewhere completely different. And Jesus tells him, Peter, I'm sorry, mate, but before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And Luke goes into even more detail as we see what's happening in the spiritual realm. I want you to understand around all of our lives, it's not just the natural people you can see with your physical eyes. We live in a fourth dimensional world. Do you know what that means? That we can communicate with sight, touch, sound, smell. We communicate with our five senses with the world. But in the spirit realm, there are principalities, powers. There is an organized hierarchy of demonic spirits that are working continuously against your life. And that's why it's so important that you don't be found walking in your own strength because you're not stronger than them. And you'll get a licking. So Luke's account of the Last Supper in 22, verse 31, listen, listen to what he says to Peter. Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you. Wow. Satan has come directly to Jesus to ask for permission to do what? That he may sift you like wheat. He's after him. You know why he's after him? Because he sees the glaring weakness in Peter's life that he's not prepared to submit. Submit to God, resist the devil, and then he will flee from you. He just wants to resist the devil without first submitting to God and his life. And so he's walking under Peter power. It's Peter power all the way. The devil can see it, so he wants access into Peter's life. He comes to Jesus and specifically requests access into Peter's life. You guys ever read this scripture before? What does Jesus do? Verse 32. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Woo! I want to say to you, some of us are going, nobody's praying for me, Pastor James. I'm all alone. Nobody cares about me. 
But I want to tell you something. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father forever interceding for every single one of you today. He's the high priest of our confession. And he's the great intercessor of heaven. And whatever's going on in your life, he's aware of it today and he's praying for you. And, and Jesus says to Peter, Peter, devil's come to me. He wants to mess you up. But I've prayed for you to the Father. I've prayed that your faith will not fail. I've prayed for you all those things that I've been putting into your life that they're going to, at the end of the day, they're going to hold strong and you're not going to become a casualty of this faith that I've imparted to you. And then, he's, then he prophesies and he says, and when you have returned to me, uh-oh, what does it mean if someone returns? It means that they went away. When you've returned to me from your backsliding, strengthen your brothers. There's the grace of God right there. He's not qualified for leadership. Did you know that he denied Jesus three times? He should never be allowed the pulpit ever, ever again. I think that we should actually, we should just let him, he can be on the door. Every week Peter can be on the door, but he's never going to be allowed to do anything significant in the body of Christ ever again. Let's shoot some more wounded. Man, I praise God that Jesus is full of grace this morning. And so he prophesies his return. And no doubt those words of Jesus were comforting to Peter when he was in the middle of that dark place of denying Jesus three times. Didn't Jesus say something to me about that I'm going to return? It's not the end for me. I'm not finished and done like a dog in his dinner. I'm ready to go. I'm ready. God has got a plan and a purpose for my life. And when you come back, Peter, effectively, as we see in his restoration, Peter was saying, I want you to be the pastor and the man of God that I've called you to be. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. And his restoration process as he commissions him. So this happens around the table of the Lord. There's lots of action happening at this Last Supper. And then we go on as they left the upper room. The Bible says that they walked up the Mount of Olives where Jesus says, could you not pray with me even for one hour where he's about to go through his most intense emotional suffering where the Bible actually says he physically experienced blood coming through his sweat pores on his forehead as the intense spiritual pressure was mounting on Jesus' life. And he's just saying, hey guys, you've been with me for 12, you've been with me, you 12 have been with me for three and a half years. I want you to stay by me. I want you to pray for me. This is my the biggest moment. What do they do? They all fall asleep. Every single one of them. Man, we've got a lot to learn, don't we? And Jesus says this as they're walking to the Mount of Olives in Matthew 26. All of you, every single one of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, second time, I want you to get this. This wasn't prophesied once. We're now walking up the Mount of Olives. Second time, Jesus reminds Peter. And I can imagine Peter's gone all quiet. After the Last Supper, he's thinking, oh man, you know, because the betrayer was revealed as Judas around the Last Supper. 
We know that took place. The one that dips his hand with me in the bread bowl, he's the one that's going to betray me, and everybody's focused on that. But at this last supper, he's also told Peter that he's going to deny him three times. And Peter's probably feeling so he's got it all wrong. He's got it. False prophecy, false prophecy. <sighs> I could never deny Jesus. So Jesus tells him gently again, you're all going to fall. Peter says, effectively, uh-uh, I'm better than the rest. Paul said, don't compare yourselves one to another. You're very unwise when you start comparing your spirituality with one brother to another brother to another brother. I've got my gold medal of achievements in the kingdom of God that I proudly wear as I look down my nose at the rest of you plebs. <laughs> Peter says, yeah, they're... they're yeah, they're a bit useless, Jesus. A bit useless, those ones. But me, you can count on me, Jesus. I'm your man. I'm the man of the hour. You can count on me, Jesus. I will be there for you. Uh-oh. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. It's getting worse. He's digging himself into a deeper and a deeper and a deeper hole. They get up the top. Judas comes with a group of men who have got swords and spears. They come to arrest Jesus as betrayed with a kiss. Peter whips out the sword. Chop his ear off. Peter. All of you who live by the sword will die by the sword. I've got to get that violent streak out of your life. Picks up the ear, puts it back on his head, instantaneous miracle. He's healed. Praise God. It's nice to have that sort of surgeon around, isn't it? Just whip it back on. Instant healing as he comes. But once again, Peter is showing up that he's walking in his own strength and reverting to violent means instead of understanding that this was all part of the will of God for Jesus' life. And then finally, we record in Luke's Gospel, which I'll read to you again. I hope you don't mind. I just want to read through Scripture so you can get a good picture, and then we're going to wrap this up. Luke 22, verse 54, Having arrested Jesus, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Already... We're seeing the prophecy begin to unfold. Where was Peter before? Right on Jesus' shoulder. Where is he now? He's following Jesus at a distance. Your proximity to Jesus today will have a big bearing on whether you deny him or whether you're faithful for, with him. If you can come closer in proximity to Jesus, it's going to help you to be one that would fulfill the plan of God for your life. Verse 55, Now when they kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them, and a certain servant girl sat by the fire, looked intently at him, looked intently at him, and where are we? Sorry, my iPad just disappeared for a minute. Um, it said, This man was also with him. But Peter denied him, saying, First denial, woman, I do not know him. 
Verse 58, and after a little while, another saw him and said, you also are of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. Then after an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, surely this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. Third denial, immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed just as Jesus prophesied. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Listen to this. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. At the moment of his third denial, the Bible says, Jesus' eyes and Peter's eyes locked. And he remembered the prophetic word. And he wept bitterly because suddenly the prophetic had come to pass and he realized that he had failed the one that he loved so much. Now, if we're all honest today, and I hope you're in honesty mode this morning, many of us in many different ways have failed the Lord. This isn't a message to point the bony finger at any of us today. But this is to understand that most of us actually do know what it feels like to deny Christ. Maybe you've been in a group of people they, and they start bad-mouthing the gospel. You never stick up for Jesus. Maybe you're in a group of people and somebody asks you a spiritual question. There's room enough for a bus to be driven through that gap and share the gospel and suddenly you turn away or you distance yourself from the conversation. Opportunity lost. Why? Because you were too afraid to share that you're a follower of Christ. Whatever it may have been, we've all, we all know what it's like in some way to deny Jesus and to be tempted not to stand up for him. Those missed opportunities, or perhaps we've found ourselves joining in worldly activities. We never intended to actually get involved, but next minute, three, four, five drinks later, and we're no longer behaving like a Christian anymore. So here's the Peter who's full of bravado. Here's the Peter who's walking in his own strength. Here's the Peter who says, I'll never, I'll never deny you. I'll never stop following you. And here he is. He's now feeling the full brunt of the prophetic word over his life that he has failed the Lord. You know, this was an event in his life, but for some of us, it's not so much an event that happens in one place or time. But sometimes, and I've found this over the years, that many believers develop a slow leak. Have you ever had a slow leak in one of your tires? You come out in the morning, you think, oh, it looks a little bit lower than normal, and you carry on, and then the next week, and then the third week, you come out, and you're on your rim. And sometimes that's what happens to us. We're no longer in the proximity of Jesus. We've been getting frustrated. We've stopped praying. We've stopped connecting in the Word. We're no longer having a worship time. The family altar has been wiped out. We're too busy for that. We're watching TV. Instead of being in a full circle, without the television, we're in a semicircle, and we've been robbed of an altar time with God. You know where I'm coming from. And soon we lose that focus and we become focused on the things of man instead of the things of God. And lo and behold, suddenly we end up doing something really dumb and really stupid and we say, where did that come from? And we can sometimes excuse ourselves in that moment, but you've got to understand, you're a product of the decisions that you have made leading up to that event. So, I'm glad today that the devil never gets the last say. That 
Jesus had prayed that his faith would not fail and that when he returned, there was a prophecy sitting in Peter's spirit that gave him hope today. And God doesn't want our faith, any of our faith, to stay in failure, but he wants to rescue us out of that. But more than that, he wants to put us on a proper foundation where we can look in the mirror and be honest about what created this problem in the first place. Did you know, brothers and sisters, that's what true repentance is about. People think repentance is about because you got caught. You got caught, so you become very remorseful. You got caught cheating. You got caught lying. You got caught being unfaithful. You got caught stealing the clock, time off the clock with the boss. Whatever it may be, you got caught, and so suddenly you become remorseful. Friends, that's not sorrow. That's sorrow for the fact that you got caught. Godly sorrow is when you're sorry because you've hurt the heart of God. That's true repentance. Godly sorrow that leads to true repentance is when we realize that we've hurt the heart of Jesus. And when we understand that, then true repentance can be gifted into our life and we can use that as a platform to turn our lives around this morning. Hallelujah. And I'm glad that the Word of God says in 1 John 2.1, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. There's the agenda. People say to me all the time, well, God's a God of grace. You know, if I sin, he's already forgiven me. You know, in a way that's very true, but it also says that if we sin, we need to confess our sins to him. And it's not that God doesn't know that you've sinned. He knows everything, but he wants you to be in agreement with what he's seen. He wants you to look in the mirror and understand what the problem is here and to confess your sin to him so that he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. And so what John, the apostle John is saying here, he's saying, he's saying, it's not the agenda anymore for your life to be sinning. You once were separated and alienated from God and you lived your life how you wanted and it was a lifestyle of sin. He's saying now that you're a follower of Christ, if you do happen to sin, If you do happen to fall short, God has made provision for your life to come and receive forgiveness. And it goes on to say, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. An advocate is somebody like a lawyer who stands up in court and pleads on your behalf to the judge and says, let it not be incriminated against his account because I have paid the price on his behalf and you have an advocate with Jesus today who's standing at the right hand of the Father and he says over your life not guilty because he shed his blood for you today. Hallelujah. Proverbs 24 says this, for a righteous man may fall seven times but he'll rise again. Come on church. Hallelujah. And so it's been a week as we come to a close of this message. It's been a week since the death, the burial and the resurrection. Peter has seen the Lord over this period of the, of the week. But just like somebody who is suffering in their spirit because they know they've done wrong, you ever been in that place? Suddenly all the boastfulness and the pride and the arrogance is all just, because you've got no leg to stand on. You got caught out. You know, there's nothing that you can boast about. And Peter's in this place of just nursing his bruises from denying Jesus. And suddenly he says to the boys, let's go fishing. You know, he left fishing behind. And often when we're, when, we're, when we're caught in a position where we've denied Christ in some way in our area of our life, the first thing that will raise up is, just 
Leave that behind. Go back to what you were doing before. It's easy. You know, you know how all that all works. You know how to let the nets down. You know where to fish. You know where to catch fish. Let's go fishing. Six of the other disciples join them. They're out. They're out all night. Nothing. They, get, they wake up, they, they, they're out there on the boat in the morning, frustrated. They haven't caught any fish. After all, they are fishermen. That's what they're supposed to do is catch fish. And suddenly they see a man on the shore with a fire. And someone says, it's Jesus. Peter puts his clothes on, jumps out of the boat, and runs through the water to get to Jesus. And this is the great story. Just as Jesus denied, uh, Peter denied Jesus three times, this is the story of Peter's restoration. And I want us to look closely at it as we close this morning. Jesus cooks breakfast for them. I always love this. I just imagine Jesus is preparing the atmosphere. And he's become their personal chef on this morning. The coals are burning. But I want you to remember the last time that Jesus, that Peter was in the proximity of Jesus, there was another fire burning in which they were warming their hands as, Jesus, as Peter was accused of being one of the disciples but denied Jesus. There are a number of elements that we'll see that are similar that are confronting to Peter because it's reminding him of what he's done. John 21, verse 15. So when they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Wow. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. That's the first time. Second time. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three times Peter denied Jesus. Three times Jesus restores Peter. I want you to notice the first thing here is that Jesus doesn't call him Simon Peter. He calls him Simon, son of Jonas. He calls Peter by his old name, you lightweight, you pebble. Hello? Why would Jesus do that? Not only, not only is he calling him a lightweight, he's doing it in front of the other six disciples. There's, there's a little bit of public embarrassment going on here because everybody knows that Jesus changed his name and now he's calling him by his old name because he's reminding Peter, Peter, you're in your weak state. You're back trying, you're, you've reverted back to your old life because you never hung on to me and walked with me through this process. You wanted to do it your way and now you're back where you started. There's the fire. Just like there was the fire at the denial. Jesus looks at Peter directly in the eyes, just like he looked directly in his eyes after Peter had denied him. There's a whole lot of parallels that are going on here to actually transport Peter back in time to the event that took place when he denied Jesus. He's in front of the other disciples. Why would he need to do that? Is God in the habit of embarrassing us? No, when a leader fails, there needs to be public accountability. Do you know why? It's not so much even for Peter's sake, but it's for the other guy's sake that they know that Jesus hasn't disqualified him from leadership. 
but he's restoring him. And those guys needed to know that Jesus is bringing him back into that place of ministry. Hallelujah. What about the first question? Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? What's he talking about? More than all these fishing boats? More than all the houses, the cars, and the limos? Is that what he's talking about? No, no, no. I can imagine Jesus sitting around the fire with the other six. There's seven of them there of the disciples. And he puts out his hand. He says, Peter, do you really love me more than these? Because he asked him that question once before. And Peter said, they all fail you. I won't fail you. So Jesus is actually rubbing a little bit of salt into the wound here with Peter because he's trying to get some honesty happening in his heart. There can be no true turnaround in your life if you won't be honest about what has taken place within your life. If you're just going to flick the hand and flick the wrist and say, she'll be right, mate, good old Kiwi saying, and you're just going to carry on in your way and you're not going to actually look at what's happened in your downfall, then friends, I want to say you're probably going to end up in the same place again. I want you to notice something else here. We don't get it in the English language, but we get it in the original Greek in which this, the New Testament was written. And it's simply this. The first question when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He's using the word agapeo, which is the highest form of love. In the Greek, there's five words that are translated into one English word, the word love. In the original Language, when Jesus says, do you love me? He's saying, Peter, do you love me with the highest form of love that I've said as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. It's the love that's unconditional. It's the 100% pure love of God. He says, do you love me with that kind of love? Do you know the word that Peter responds to? He doesn't use agape. He uses another word for love called filio. He says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You know that I filio you. Which, and the word filio means brotherly love or human love. So Peter can't bring himself to say, yes, Lord, you know that I love you with the highest form of love because it never worked for him. He fell short of that. Jesus asked him a second time, same deal. But did you know in the third time, Jesus changes the word from agapeo and he downgrades it to filio says, Peter, do you filio me? Do you love me with a human love? Do you love me? All right, he's saying, okay, Peter, I know that you've realized today that you've fallen short of the ultimate kind of love and a personal walk with me, the one that I gave to you, the one that I trained you, the one that I showed you how to operate in, and you can love. You're saying to me today, Jesus, I recognize that I've fallen short. I recognize that I haven't walked the walk the way that I should have walked, and I can only offer you my human affection. And so Jesus says, okay, there's a starting point. Will you love me with that? Will you start here, Peter? Will you love me with a human affection? Let's build on that from this point as we move forward. You know, at the end of this, when he's asked Peter again, it says for the third time, Peter was grieved. And he says to him, I'm grieved. Lord, you know all things. You know that I loved you. And times gone by, Peter would have jumped to his defense and said, Jesus, you know, of course I love you. I love you with the highest form of love. 
But Peter's grieved and all he can say now, because he's had a true foundation of repentance within his life, he's saying, you actually know my heart. I can't defend myself. You see straight through me. You see what's going on in my life. And all I can say to you, Lord, is, well, you know what's really going on inside of here. Friends, that's the place to begin to build afresh, where you stop all your excuses, you stop all those things that you've given yourself as an excuse, and you start saying, God, you actually know what's been happening in my life, and I want to build afresh from this point forward in the name of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Until we acknowledge our pride, our self-sufficiency, walking in our own strength, we will continue to fall short of developing a deeper relationship with Jesus. As we prepare just to do a little bit, I know it's, the service has gone on a little bit today, but I sincerely believe today that God wants to offer many of us a fresh opportunity to build on a good foundation. You've been wondering why some of the pizzazz has gone out of your walk? You've been wondering why it seems just lately you've been really drawn to temptation like you've never been before. You've been wondering why you've been skipping your Bible readings and skipping your prayer times with the Lord and you've been focused on other things. It's because God wants to bring you to a point of working on a true foundation where you're honest with yourself. No more excuses. This is the day the Lord has made. This is a time and this is a season. Now is the day. Now is the time in which God would have you to straighten up the foundations today, to acknowledge in your heart what's really been going on, to no holds barred, be honest with Jesus this morning. Your honesty and your authenticity before the throne of God is what is going to get you out of this place and get you walking with Him. Finally today, He says, do you love me? It's getting tedious for Peter at this point. But Jesus is making a point, and this is what I believe the point is. He's saying this, do you love me? Not love doing things for me. Not love the acclamation of serving in front of other people. Not loving the stage and being the man of power and faith and power or woman of faith and power. Not that kind of love. Do you love me, Peter? I want to know if you love me. Not all the benefits that I can give to you, but I want you to love me. Because when you get that right, when you love me and you put me in the first, first and highest priority within your life, things are going to turn around for you, Peter. I want you to know today, do you love me, Peter? Why don't we stand to our feet?